You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We are Canada's number one tech radio show. And we've got a great program for you today. We talk all things tech. Uh, today, we'll be covering the chip shortage. It's been plaguing us for a couple of years now, especially through the pandemic with all the supply chain constraints. Is it getting better? I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. We'll tell you all about that. And when robots go wrong, I had a bad experience with my robot. John, you've had a few. It involves my Roomba and Pooh, <laughs> two things that should never go together. Uh, so we'll be talking about that and some other things uh, that I've experienced as well with like my lawn robot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and John, you've got a new drone. I you do. know, I thought drones were kind of dead, you know, just because of all the regulation and rules that have come in. Well, the drone manufacturers have found ways around those rules. And so you have a drone that you don't need a license for. Correct. Yes. Yeah. In Canada and the US, as long as it's under 249 grams, it's considered a toy, basically. I had a chance uh, to see it in action uh, on the weekend. John, it blew me away at how good it was. Yeah. Like, it was so tiny. When when I saw it, I'm like, there's no way that thing would be stable. Yeah. Folded up, it's about the size of a can of Coke. Yeah. The only downside to it is birds do not like it. No, they do not. No, we'll tell you all about that. Did the crows win or did the drone? Um, let's talk about some of the tech news this week. Teslas, they're being equipped to have pothole detection and suspension height adjustments. Uh, this is only going to be for Model X and Model Y versions, but that's kind of cool. Yeah. Because I don't know if you noticed lately, here in Vancouver anyway, and it's like this all over, I know. There's like a gazillion potholes right now. Yeah, especially after our long, long rainy season. Yeah. So they're going to have a, a new mode called Tough Roadmap, and, uh, which is pothole detection and adaptive suspension, which will adjust the vehicle suspension according to when using the rough roadmap feature. What do you think? I'm just really curious how, how that response time is going to work. Yeah. Like, are you going to hit the pothole with the front tires and then it'll like, oh, we got to adjust something and the back tires will be fine. But I think, I don't think it'll be able to detect it that quickly. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. there's a pothole in like five feet. Yeah. I think this um, rough roadmap maybe is a crowdsource thing where. Right. That's what uh, I was thinking. Yeah. That you would just know there's a bad spot. There's right a bad there. spot. And so it just adjusts because it knows you're about to hit. Swerve around it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's a little, a little crazy. Uh, also in the tech news, um, this is kind of uh, interesting, John. Uh, Raspberry Pi, we've talked a lot about this in the past. It's like a little hobby computer board that you can create all sorts of things from like a, a full desktop computer to having it control robots, weather stations. Like, I mean, you can do anything with these things. Uh, the Pi Pico adds Wi-Fi and this little computer board costs how much? Six bucks. That is insane. So yeah. the Pico is like a, a miniature version of the Raspberry Pi board. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you're not going to be using it as a retro gaming machine. You're not going to be using it as a video media center or anything like that. This is really meant for small, very specific projects. But the fact that they've got the price down so low, it's so small. It's about the size of a stick of gum. Yeah. Um, and by stick of gum, I mean like, you know, juicy fruit size. <laughs> Yeah. And they've actually put Wi-Fi. I mean, it is that small. It like is that small, yeah. yeah. So what would it be used for? Um, lots of different things. Uh, 
sometimes you can put it into a drone. You could put it into a, um, you know, a little robot. You know, anything that needs any kind of computing power, you can do that. Um, these little things I use a, quite a lot in um, some of my synth stuff because some of these things, uh, not this specific. Like music synthesizer and yeah, stuff. Yeah, because yeah. you just need some processing power and yeah. you need a USB port and these things have a bunch of, they're called GPIO ports. It's a bunch of pins basically that you can attach things to for sensors. So you need like a little sensor to monitor that your hot water tank isn't uh, isn't leaking. Yeah. You could just use that. It's very small, very, very low energy, and it has Wi-Fi now. That's crazy. So yeah, they're pretty cool. And um, the, just the, the price alone is just crazy how cheap they are. That's six US, I'm imagining. It, it is, but I, oh my god, that must be like almost ten dollars Canadian. Well, I've seen them for as low as seven dollars Canadian. Are you kidding me? Yeah, but I mean, what a great little hobby computer to to do some fun. I mean, there's so many different projects you can do with these things. Yeah, but are they available? I know there was a shortage on this stuff for a while. Uh, um, these ones are more available uh, just because they're not as in demand as like the full size Raspberry Pi, which we'll talk about later in the show. Yeah, um, but the. These are fairly new, and these are all using new, newer components that uh, are low cost and quite plentiful. So uh, it's just a matter of getting them assembled as Very opposed good. to sourcing the parts, which is the problem with the bigger boys. John, uh, I know you're not a Star Trek guy. You're more of a Star Wars guy. But one cool feature in Star Trek, if you ever watch it, is you know there's so many different alien cultures that they interact with. You know, Klingons, Romulans, and Dorians. I'm really outing myself here as a uh, <laughs> as a nerd. As a nerd, um, but one of the technology the technologies they use is the universal translator. It just automatically translates. Yeah, in real time. Uh, Meta, which is Facebook's parent company, they are open sourcing their early stage artificial intelligence translation tool that works across 200 languages. So they're opening up this tool to developers to advance the progress and development of this tool. We've talked about this before, and the analogy I always like to use is the Babel fish yeah. uh, from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's a little thing you put in your ear, and the second you put it in, you can just automatically hear any language and understand, Yeah, regardless of where the origin is. So... This is uh, a research and development project that they've uh, got going. And uh, like I said, they are opening it up to all developers. Which is exciting because someone is going to build this technology into something like the Babelfish. Yeah. There's been a few attempts at this. There's, there's a few different companies that have kind of like earbuds that you wear that are meant to do this, but they haven't really quite had the the horsepower of artificial intelligence to sort of pick up some of that slack for the translation and yeah. real time on device. So what's exciting about this apparently is that it's um, also supporting a hundred languages that typically haven't been supported or very well supported with other types of translation tools in the past. Right. Which is kind of exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah. So, I mean, they are really pushing hard into this whole web 3.0 kind of area, you know, with VR and, and AR. They've got their meta uh, goggles. I've got a pair. It's been, they're actually quite amazing. But I guess the idea is there you'll be able to talk with people in real time, even though you don't speak their language. Yeah. So there's no more bar language barrier at all. I, I, just, I, I just can't believe how far we've come with that type of technology over yeah. the years. Okay. We're going to take a break. When we come back... We're going to talk about a drone that 
you can get and fly and you don't have to go through all that licensing for it. Well, you still should. But. You, you still should. Uh, you're listening to Get Connected. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike and John here. Still lots to talk about on today's program. Later on, chip shortage. Is it getting better? Well, I hope it is because it's affecting the pricing and availability of not just common technology like video cards and computers, but of course, chips are used in everything. Washing machines, fridges, cars. So we're going to give you the lowdown on that. And when robots go wrong. I have a few stories about the robots in my house and how they've done me wrong. Uh, Let's talk about drones, John. Uh, Drones popped onto the market a few years ago, sold really well. You know, DJI would probably be one of the bigger ones out there. Yeah. 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 A lot of people were building their own drones. Yes. I had, I built my own, a few of them. Of course you did. Yes. (laughs) And, but DJI was really the, you know, the off the shelf they, they call it ready to fly. Basically, yeah. you just take it off the shelf, charge it up, and you're good to go. They, the software makes it very easy to fly. You don't have to be a skilled pilot. No. Uh, the, the sensors in these drones can make it very easy to fly, and they can make it very easy to land, You know, which can be some of the challenging things to do. They can tell you it's too windy to fly because the apps are connected to the drone, and the drone has all kinds of sensors on it. So yeah. uh, it makes it very uh, approachable. So the problem with these, John, not necessarily the drones themselves, but the people. Yeah, people are always Pil- the problem. Piloting the drones. So many issues of these things being misused and getting in the way of uh, flight. <laughs> Basically people Airplanes, flying them yeah. where they shouldn't be flying them. Yeah. Um, and th- I don't think that's going to change anytime soon because I think people are still going to be people. Yeah. Um, but... This particular drone I bought was an upgrade for an, an, another drone that I had before, that I still have, and it was really sort of the start of something, I think, better in that space. Like you said, DJI is kind of like one of the leaders in this space, if not the leader. They're kind of like the Apple of drones. Yeah. 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 The, the thing I like about them is their software is fantastic. Um, depending on the drone you purchase, you either will use your phone as sort of the interface for the drone. Um or in the case of the drone I just purchased, I got a, a smart controller that actually has an Android phone built into it. It's so like I, a giant screen. It's a giant, beautiful screen, touch yep. screen, very good in, in bright sunlight, that type of thing. And it makes it very easy for me to uh, just basically turn everything on and, 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 and go and fly. So um, the, the, the big thing, though, is the software will tell you if you're allowed to fly where you're flying. That's important. Which is very important. Yeah. And, and they've made some great uh, inroads in the software. Before, I had to use different apps to try to figure out where the no-fly zones were and that type of thing because not everyone realizes you know, an airport that might be 10 miles away from your house or 10 kilometers away from your house has a lot of flight paths that you're not allowed to sort yeah. of be on because someone could come in for a low low landing or something like that. And I live out in Port Coquitlam, and there's a number of uh, airports around me with flight paths that you can't really see or understand what those flight paths are until you look at it at a proper aeronautical map. So will it not let you fly? Uh, it won't let me fly in certain zones. 
Yeah. It'll get a warning if it's in a certain zone. There's there's a bunch of different levels of yeah. the types of places that you're allowed to fly in and versus where you're not allowed to fly in. And some things it boils down to things like right away. So, for example, down by the river near my house, it's just on the outskirts of the airport. Yeah. So I have, a, it's a warning area, just in the sense that if I see another actual airplane, I have to like get out of the way. Yes. So they have the right of way. I guess the important thing is that these things are so small now, if it were to, I guess, hit an airplane, not good, but it's not as bad. It could still be devastating, especially yeah. for some of these smaller Yeah, planes. I guess you're right, yeah. Yeah, you know, and if nothing else, it would freak out the pilot. Yeah. Um, the really easy thing to do is lose sight of these things because they are so small. Yes. Uh, and you're, look, you're, you're launching them into the sky. They disappear into the clouds or to the sun or something like that, so they're really hard to find. So you need a drone that actually has the ability to sort of come back to you yes and and one of the things that I, the the drone we're, we're talking about specifically today is the dji mini 3 pro yeah uh which i think roughly comes out um officially next week but amazon shipped it to me early so way to go so but i mean this thing is tiny like the little so it's a quadcopter the little wings they fold in yeah and i i'm just blown away at how small it is. Yeah, so and it's under 249 grams, which yeah. is which is the federal government's requirement for it to be on to not be licensed. Yeah. Uh, before I started working with you, I actually was working with a, a aviation company and I went through ground school and I have my pilot's license yeah. and stuff like but, that. So you still recommend that for people even just they're flying these tiny drones. Absolutely, because yeah. there's lots of things that you don't think about. I mean, the ground school I went through was a little bit more specific to actual aviation and, yeah. and, and airplanes. Yeah. Not as specifically about drones as I would have liked. Um, but there's a lot of things to keep in mind, especially things like wind and, you know, these drones can move very fast and you need to be aware of the stopping distance. Yeah. And one of the things that got me into trouble is, you know, there's there's a fun button on the, on the remote called sport mode. Yes. <laughs> Makes it go very fast. But it makes it very difficult to stop quickly. Yeah. And on a windy day, you have to add multipliers to that distance. So if you want, if you're trying to avoid a tree or something like that, and some of these drones, uh, when sport modes engaged, they disable all the obstacle detection. So there's lots of little things to know about. So I definitely recommend at least watch some of these training videos you can watch on YouTube and things like that. Yeah. But the government does actually have uh, a pilot's license you can go through and take the test. Um, and it's it just helps educate you better on how to use your drone. But the thing, the reason why I have it is I love taking photography uh, with my drone, putting a camera anywhere in, in space I really want to. Yeah. Um, and you can do all kinds of fantastic things. Like you can put the drone up, it'll take a panoramic, uh, it'll take like 30 or 40 photos of the exact spot it's in, stitch them all together on the app, and then you have basically a 360 version of that piece of uh, real estate or, you know, in my case, out by the by the river where I live. Yeah. And so I can see that stuff. From you show me some of the footage, John. It was beautiful. And I'm, I'm blown away the size of this thing. Uh, it's like a thick pack of deck of cards almost. Yeah. Like, um, and how stable it was. Yeah. Well, and this particular drone is sort of the culmination of a number of, of different things. They've added uh, a bunch of things 
to stabilize the video. Um, it's 4K at 60 frames a second, which is fantastic. Oh, quality. it's beautiful. Yeah, and that's uncompressed as well, right? That's well, it's 150 up to 150 megabits per second bit rate. So yeah. it's very high quality video. Uh, these are the kinds of uh, camera systems that you would see like in a in a tv show or other things like that i mean they probably use a slightly bigger drone and an actual dslr but it's it's approaching that at a fairly like a relatively affordable price point yeah Uh, and the fact that you can basically press a button on the app that you're using to control it and it'll do pre-programmed waypoint photography so it'll do like a little circle video of you there's things called rocket dronies where it'll start off really close and then basically just bolt straight up and it'll speed it up and make it look really cool and it'll be an amazing piece of footage for your Instagram or Facebook or whatever and you know so it's a lot of fun you can actually just draw on the screen on a subject and it'll actually track that person or that subject you know a dog someone on a bike you can actually follow you while you're riding your bike and it can actually avoid trees and birds do not like this thing no. no, the seagulls were after it. The crows were after it. Yes. Yes. So you need to be careful where you're flying because once the birds find out it's there, they're not going to be happy. Yeah. And they're bigger than this. They are. They're yeah. quite a lot bigger. They will win. If they want to touch it. Yeah. I haven't had that experience yet myself, but I do know it has happened. We're going to have to take a break. You are tuned in to Get Connected. When we uh, come back, we still got a lot to talk about. The chip shortage. Is it getting better? And when robots go wrong. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike and John here. We're Canada's number one tech radio program. Still coming up, the chip shortage. Is it getting better? And why it's important to know. Let's talk about robots now, John. They're becoming more and more part of our lives. They make things easier. I've got a few robots in my house. I've got a few Roombas. You know, one upstairs, a couple downstairs because I've got different levels. Um, yeah, they haven't quite figured out the room, but they can climb stairs yet. No, that will be the next evolution. I love them. Um, I think the technology for these robot vacuums has gotten so so good. Um, I've got the iRobot Roomba series ones. Uh, they've got the clean dirt disposal system. So the the vacuum, the robot will go out and vacuum. And then when it's full, it'll go back and empty all the junk hair and dirt into the canister into a vacuum bag an old-fashioned vacuum bag yeah which is great um i also have their wet mop (laughs) and this is where things go bad yeah so one of the great things on the newer roombas is uh they've got cameras built into them and sensors so they can detect obstacles now and one of the big ones would be poo Right? Because if you've got pets... You've got a bunch of little dogs in your house. Well, yeah. I've got two little dogs, right? They're good now. They're actually good. But my daughter, who lives at home still, decided she wanted to get her own little dog. Because two weren't enough. No. Um, And her partner, who comes over all the time, got her own dog too. So now there's four of these dog, these little dogs. Two of them are puppies. And as you can imagine, John, what happens? They're poo machines. They're poo machines. There's poo everywhere. <laughs> anyway, um, so I've got, the good thing is, uh, I think my regular R- Roomba vacuums, they've got that detection. But that wet mop is it's a couple years old. It doesn't have poo detection. <laughs> anyway, is unbeknownst. Is that actually a mode on the new one? Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, it's not just poo now. They can detect like socks and power cords and things like right. that, right? Because that was a problem in the past. These things getting tangled up in all the cords. Well, I had one of the original Roombas. Yeah. And it would always get hung up on one of my lamps. I have a floor lamp. Yeah. And it would just sit there and it was it was just stuck on it. Yeah. And it couldn't get out no. off of it. So I'd have to like rescue it. Anyway, so unbeknownst to us, uh, and we're still trying to determine the culprit. Too late now. Who cares, right? Um, poop in the dining room. And anyway, the little wet mop went in there. Because, you know, it's automatic, right? Yeah. You're not watching this thing. Yeah. And the dining room's off to the side, so we don't... Anyway, it hit that poop, and... It didn't mop it up. No, it's... John, it was like a poop crime scene. It was just poop everywhere. It was gross. Are we going to get a warning from the CRTC about this episode? <laughs> don't know. Anyway, this, the moral of the story is, um, you know, if you're looking for a robot vacuum or wet mop, make sure it has, like, obstacle detection of some type. Yes. Yeah. Like my drone. Like your drone. Yes. Um, I also have an automower. Yes, you do. And John, overall, it's one of the best things. I love it. Like I have a fairly big yard. It's about 11,000 square feet, which is apparently a quarter of an acre. So there's a lot of grass. And, you know, I, I don't love mowing the lawn. And your son didn't either. No. So, so he never did. No. So then it's me mowing the lawn. Yeah. Who, who likes it? Some people do, but it's not me. Well, yeah. I, I, I enjoy it when it's a riding lawnmower. Yeah. It's like a little game. It's like Mario Kart in the backyard. Yeah, exactly. So I have this um, Husqvarna automower. I think the 435 model. And I've had it for a couple of years now. And it is awesome. I mean, they do have to set up a perimeter wire. They bury this wire around the perimeter of your yard. And so that's the boundary for this thing. I know there's ones out there now that don't need that. I don't see how that works about well, to be honest. But anyway, um, yeah, the problem is though, if that wire gets cut in any way, the whole thing just won't work. Right. Because it needs it needs to know that there's a boundary because there's electricity, like a low current going through that yeah. perimeter wire. Um, and it just it just gets cut more than you would think. Especially during the winter months, right? Because I have um, it out in the front yard as well. So near the sidewalk and the boulevard where, you know, people park their cars, more often than not, it gets soft and mushy. And, you know, parked cars will basically smoosh the wire and cut it. Yeah. And so then I got to bring in and, you know, God bless them, uh, the Husqvarna service guys, and they got to come in and find that broken link. And it's not like they have an easy way to do that. No, they don't have like a little sensor machine. Or no, they literally like you can't to... look on the app. It's broken here. Yeah. So the first question is, where do you think it's broken? <laughs> Which isn't the most scientific no. way. But then they have like this little rod that they can go around and. It's like a continuity tester. Yes. Um, so this thing has cost me a few hundred dollars in wire repairs. But also the problem is, um, it'll get tangled up in things like if you if you have kids or dogs and they leave crap out in the yard it, i mean those it doesn't have like obstacle detection do you know what i mean so does it drag things around it'll drag things and i don't know how it is but i don't know why but my family seems to buy the dogs all these stringy toys that they just chew to pieces so there's like big things of string 
and yarn all over the place from these dog toys that just get caught up in it. And, you know, I had some of these uh, twinkle lights in some of my bushes. I don't know how that thing got a hold of those because I guess (laughs) one of the little wires or twinkle light wires came down. And dear God, it it took me like half an hour to take that thing apart. And It it sounds like Roomba needs to come up with a robot wrangler robot. (laughs) (laughs) To keep it away from all the... All the obstacles, right? Um, and then you know, I dig, and then I've got the dog, you know, the new puppies. They're digging holes all over the lawn, and sometimes it just falls into. Like so, so I, I know it's a puppy. I'm like, how do you? How does that little palm tree dig that deep? It's amazing. <laughs> so you need pothole detection. Oh, I need. I think I need a lot more than than that, essentially. But overall, it's the best thing I ever did. Like I can't tell you how how gratifying it is to sit on my my deck with a cold beer and just watch the robot mower go around. So even though it's cost me a few hundred bucks to get that thing, the wires fixed over the couple of years and a bit of time detangling them, it still saved me like hours and hours of time, like physically mowing the lawn. And it's probably a better job than you did too. Yeah. Am I a great lawnmower? No, no. This thing will just cut everything like perfectly. Yeah. Which is, which is great. Okay, we're going to have to take another break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the chip shortage, where we are now, and why you should care. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike and John here. You've heard over the past couple of years during the pandemic, huge supply chain issues with everything, really. Yeah, pretty much. Big thing was the chip shortage as well. It was like a perfect storm. Uh, so not only did you have supply chain issues like just transportation and what have you, uh, but there weren't enough computer chips for everything. And John, computer chips are in everything. Absolutely everything. Microwave, toaster, washing machines. It, it even got so bad that even some new cars weren't shipping with some basic features because they didn't have the chips for it. Yeah, Ford was delivering cars, basically promising uh, that they would install the chips for certain things like perhaps the um, uh, the air conditioning system in the back seats uh, or even the infotainment chipsets yeah. at yeah. a later date just to get the cars onto yeah. car lots. Which is crazy. It's insane. I've never seen anything like it. One of the, I guess, more prominent things that we've talked about was the fact that the, there was a GPU shortage. Yes. So a lot of these um, uh, companies that were making graphics cards for your computers, graphics cards for your Xbox, your PlayStation, those were unobtainium. Yeah. And they were going on the on the secondary market for 10 times. It was insane. Yeah. Yeah. Thousands of dollars for for a graphics card. Yeah. And that's why you couldn't get a, a new Xbox or a PlayStation, right? Yeah. Like you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, it sounds like um, from the reports we've seen that the problem might be starting to ease up. Okay. Uh, I actually was, I was at Walmart the other day. I could have bought an Xbox. Wow. The new one, the, yep. the high end one, which was the hard to get one. It looked like they, I just missed a PlayStation five. Yep. So the fact that they're actually in retail stores, there's not these, you know, 
lottery systems to buy this stuff anymore. Um, the other problem that was happening at the same time as the pandemic and everything else was Bitcoin and everything else was going up. So people were buying up these graphics processors to mine Bitcoin. Yeah, so they'd put these high-end graphics cards with the high-end GPUs, chips, uh, into these computers, and that's what does the mining for Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. So, but then, of course, the... Bitcoin and other crypto has started to crash. So there's less interest in that space now. Yeah. Uh, So that could also help. Uh, I know for me personally, Raspberry Pis, which are those very low cost, uh, small credit card size um, microcomputers. Yeah. Kind of like a hobby computer. Yeah. Yeah. There, I use them in a lot of different things. Uh, Everything from controlling my 3D printers to um, running some of my synthesizer software to running my home entertainment system those were also very hard to get. And to the point where there's actually a website, uh, rpilocator.com, that tracks globally every supplier that sells any model of Raspberry Pi devices. How do they get all that info? That's crazy. They're scraping the inventories of all these different sites. And so this is a great site. You actually get set, set up alerts and it'll play a sound in your browser when there's one available somewhere. And they've started to notice the patterns of when stuff's available, so they have a very active Twitter account. Um, but that's how bad this situation is. These low-cost computer parts are just very difficult to get uh, because typically the ones that are getting it are the large companies doing large volume purchases, not these small retailers that, you know, hobby computer stores, basically. Uh, but now it's starting to give it, get a little bit better. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe those four donors can finally get heated seats <laughs> <laughs> just in time for the summer. Well, Tesla had big problems too delivering because they couldn't get enough supply yeah. of chips either. Yeah. And they're one of the better ones because uh, they have the capability to sub out chips yeah. and kind of rewrite their software uh, to make workarounds. Whereas a lot of these are, uh, other car companies can't. Yeah. Like they're just stuck on one chipset. Yeah, for their cars, and if they can't get that, too bad. But it was it was crazy though because during the pandemic, when like the Raspberry Pis started to dry up, just like the GPU prices, they went through the roof. What you could normally get for about fifty bucks, I've seen, and I still see that on Amazon, resellers are selling them for as much as five hundred. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh my god! I should. Oh yeah, you I should. Could, I you, should find my Raspberry Pis. You, you, you Craigslist. Could, you could do well, I think. Yeah. I, I think I think that ship might have sailed by now, yeah. Because uh, I think they are becoming more and more available. But it, it just shows you the supply and demand and how fragile of a system it really is, especially when uh, supply chains are constrained. So, why is this important then, John? Because these things are also interwoven. It's not just the chips. I mean, obviously, there's all sorts of factors that have uh, factored into. Uh, the supply chain issues, but I mean, prices have been driven up because of that. There's inflation. Um, are you guessing that prices will come down on some of these things? I, I think I so. I can't help but think, yeah. Yeah, especially because, I mean, one of the more recent problems we've seen in, in China is an uptick on COVID uh, shutdowns and lockdowns. So that's directly affected the factories that are making these things. Yeah. So it's not just making the chips, it's taking those chips and putting them in something else that's actually useful. Yeah. And and if they can't build that, then that's why you can't get that fully built component or computer or, or game console. Yeah, I've been looking for a, a new fridge, like we're going to be updating our kitchen and there's like certain type of fridge I need. 
God help me, yeah. trying to find one. Yeah. So hopefully over the next couple of months that will uh, ease up and hopefully they won't cost a gazillion dollars. Well, it's interesting too. The secondary market has also spawned people salvaging and scavenging off of you know older technology to put it into something so they can actually still use it. Right? Wow! So you know, take a look in that closet, see what you got collecting dust. I know you've got a garage full of tech, like I do. Well, it's funny, right? Because um, I do have a lot of old tech. I'm a tech hoarder, and so recently I've been trying to sell some of it. I told you the story about my zip drives. Yeah. Um, these were kind of floppy disk drives, but they could hold like 100 megabytes per disk. And they were huge back in the day, in the 90s. Yeah. And so I had two of these things sitting in like a tub in my garage. like A time for, capsule. You know, John, they're like 20 years old, right? Yeah. And I thought, I got to get rid of them. And I don't know why, but I just thought, I'm going to ask a lot of money for these things. So I put them up for 200 bucks each. Nowhere near, in my mind, worth that. Like yeah. In my mind, they're worth like $10. Uh, but I had done a little research and you just can't find them online. Like usually I go to eBay and just kind of get a gauge of what these things are going for. And on eBay, they were going for a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. And I thought there's no way I sold them within a week. Yeah. One to a guy that was into music synthesizers. So he used it to store music samples. Well, yeah. And some of the old synthesizers that yeah. are very popular again, yeah. they used zip drives. Yeah. And another guy had an old Mac he was refurbishing, like an old Macintosh computer. And he was kind of basically using it almost as like a hard drive, essentially. Crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, if you got a lot of old tech, don't don't throw it away. I mean, check it out on eBay and, and Craigslist and see what thing. I have a few old video cards that are just like worthless. But a lot of people are like building old computers. And I sold those for not bad, like for 50 bucks. Yeah. When I just was going to recycle them. Right. Yeah. So you would be surprised at what you might be able to get for some of this stuff. Well, it's pretty easy now with Facebook Marketplace, yeah. Craigslist, eBay, those kind yeah. of places to sort of at least get a get a, pul- gauge. a yeah. pulse check of what the value of some of these things are. Yeah. I mean, it's not bad at all. Okay. We're going to have to take another break here on Get Connected. When we come back, a little more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with uh, John Beeler. I want to throw out to our, our sister show. It's called The App Show. It's on every Sunday here on the Chorus Radio Network across the country, Saturday night if you're in Toronto. And we've got a great uh, program this weekend. We are going to be talking uh, about some cool uh, new Apple features coming that will completely lock your iPhone down. If you're like one of those people that are paranoid about people spying on you, this is the feature you want to know about. And uh, we'll also be talking about Starlink. They've made some uh, updates, improvements to the satellite internet service that will allow you to use it on moving vehicles. So think airplanes, think ships, think even RVs. I know a bunch of people now that have actually bought uh, a Starlink system for their RV, which is kind of cool, but it had to be fixed. It's just a matter of time before you get one. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, they're expensive still, right, John? I mean, it's like almost a thousand bucks for the antenna, and then one hundred fifty bucks a month. Sell some zip drives. <laughs> Go into my garage and Craigslist a bunch of old uh, old tech. Okay, so if you want to know more about that, you got to hit our website. It's getconnectedmedia.com. and uh, also our podcast links are up there. So if you uh, want to subscribe to them, please do. Don't forget to also check out our YouTube channel. I want to thank uh, John, Robin, and the rest of the folks back at the studio that helped put this all together. See you again next time.